You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. How many of you are used to us having different speakers here in the church? You getting used to that? I think it's a good thing. I speak about once or twice a month, and um, then we get the really good ones in. <laughs> I was straining there, wasn't I? Um, anyway, we have Sarah Stevens. Sarah, come on up, and I'll pray for you. But it's it's great to hear from different people. I remember a number of years ago, we had, um, I think four of us took um, one portion of Scripture, um, and we all did four weeks in a row the uh, the same verses and the same message, but from different perspectives. And it was really good, because everybody here has a story. Everybody here has something worth saying and worth listening to. And the thing about Sarah that I have understood and heard over the years, her life story is just an encouraging testimony to the grace and the faith, faithfulness of God. And I really um, I'm grateful for Sarah and Ryan, the Stevens being here, their children. And um, But I really wanted to give Sarah an opportunity just to share her heart with us. So, Father, we ask that you would bless and anoint Sarah and help her because we all need help. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Robin. Thank you so much. Thank you, Robin and Don. I just really want to thank you for your commitment to the Lord, your dedication and perseverance. You've really paved a way straight to the Father's heart. We're so grateful for that, to partake of his goodness together alongside with you. So thank you for that. Um, I am Sarah Franco-Stevens. My husband is Ryan Stevens. We have six kids together. We are a unique family in the sense that we are a blended family. So our kids' um, ages range, gosh, 19 months all the way up to 24. So we get to experience all the stages all at once. It's <laughs> it's interesting and, and fun. Um, I'm so honored to just be able to tell my story and then also just really talk about what I really felt the Lord put on my heart today. Um, I know you guys don't know this, but this is a moment that he promised me and I'm stepping into and I'm stepping on the water with Jesus. So it's very special to me and you all get to experience it with me. So, (laughs) um, we'll just dive in, I guess. So the title is he is who he says he is. And my intention today is to emphasize the true identity of Jesus rather than our perception of him, which may sometimes be influenced by our current situation or even some of our past experiences. We can all just misjudge people based on assumptions um, that we make from them or 
of them. We've heard about them and our first interactions with them. So it's really worth, I think, considering whether we have miscarried the true nature of Jesus and who he is. And I really hope to honor the boundless love that Jesus has for every one of us by reminding us all he is who he says he is. I think it's essential to recognize Jesus for who he truly is um, and how he's revealed himself to us rather than letting our past, again, experiences and current circumstances shape our understanding of him. But unfortunately, sometimes it comes too easy that these two aspects in our lives become intertwined and it really leads us down a path of uncertainty, confusion, and misconception. So I think to avoid this, um, we must have a clear and honest view of who Jesus is based on his word and character, separate from the challenges that we face and the trials that come in our life. Um, really anchoring our faith in who God is is so important. So in the Bible, there's some I am statements, and this is one way that Jesus reveals himself to us. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. So those are the seven I am statements that are really just so profound and, and bold. Um, and I just want to take a minute to kind of tell you a little bit of my story, a little bit of um, how this all <laughs> comes together. So I grew up in a Christian home. I have two siblings, a brother and a sister. I'm the oldest. Um, my parents gave their life to the Lord, I think, in the 70s, and I'm an 80s baby, so um, I got to experience what that looked like. Um, my parents just gave everything up for Jesus, so I got to see what, um, you know, how that was for them and experience that. I got to understand the power of prayer. We prayed a lot. Um, we prayed through everything. And my dad was a pastor for some time on and off, but also an entrepreneur. So that kind of gives you a little bit perspective of my life as a child. Um, we grew up having a lot of things and not needing much. Um, so I come, you know, kind of from that background of my identity and security was all in money. Um, it was not in the Lord. And um, anyhow, so fast forward about 20 years ago, um, we had something very devastating and life-changing take place. Um, my father was convicted for a crime that we still believe that he didn't do. And... Um, Unfortunately, he was sentenced to prison for 10 years, and that changed the course of my life for a really long time. It changed how I saw God. It changed everybody in my family just broke. We were just broken. Um, the first two years of him, you know, he 
was in there and we waited for his trial. So for the first two years, we were full of like hope and praying and Lord, you gotta, you know, you're a God of justice. Like we're no, we know that you're not, um, going to allow this to happen to him like the truth is going to come out we're going to see it and we're going to be here for it and so when that didn't happen it was a huge disappointment you guys it's a huge disappointment um and a lot of pain and a lot of grief and it eventually uh tore my family apart so uh, each one of us, I can say real quick, just kind of started to fill the the void and the pain with different things of the world. So I kind of went to getting a fake ID. This happened to me when I was 16. So I uh, got a fake ID, was going to nightclubs every night I was there. Didn't matter which one, I just wanted to be there and um, just get my mind off of what I was going through. My brother and sister also decided to use drugs to fill their void and their pain of my father being absent and none of us being able to do anything about it. Um, you just, I don't know, when you're in places like that, you become so weak and hopeless and helpless. It's like you just want something to make you feel something and connected to something and so those connections were all not right obviously and not what the Lord wanted for any of us um, and then my mom uh, turned to alcohol and started using drugs she just went from using cocaine to then crack cocaine and so that was very difficult because living with that is really hard you know, it's really hard. And um, I was so mad, you guys. I was so mad at the Lord. I was believing all these lies from the enemy, like, where's your God now? Like, if you're a daughter of the Most High, why did he let you, why did he let this happen to your family? Like, look at your family. They don't love God. And I believed that for a while. So that probably lasted like, maybe three and a half, four years for me. And as we all know, that life is just not sustainable. It's not rich. It's not life. It's not light. It's heavy. And you become really burnt out and burdened and you carry the weight of the world and all of that. Um, so really, um, I just, I met <laughs> the Lord again with just a sweet embrace one day. I had somebody hug me in my life and it tore down every single wall that I had put up. Every wall that I put up to not feel that pain uh, so deeply again and that I put up to not need him because I didn't want to need him because of what I had gone through and how I saw him. I saw him differently. I didn't see him as Jesus, um, which breaks my heart because the questions and how I got when I got really honest with him is just hurtful to think now, but it needed to happen, I think, you know. Um, so I came to him and I was just like, why? 
why did this happen to, to me, to my life? My parents gave their life to you and I watched that. Like I watched them serve you and this is what I get. You know, it was all about me and this kind of victim mentality and just all of that. So the Lord met me with a hug, with an embrace. That was just a supernatural embrace that really just broke all of that off of me. And um, I'm just going to read through some of my notes here to stay focused. <laughs> but um, looking back, I just realized that I missed out on a lot of comfort and guidance that he could have provided me during those difficult times. Um, it's important to remember that God is always present with us and his word can really help us navigate through the toughest of challenges. So when I realized what a mess I was and I'd already turned to every person I could in order to find love, um, as a result of that, I really just became, again, burnt out. So I wanted to know him on a personal level, right? Because I knew of him most of my life, but I didn't know who he was. I didn't know him personally. Um, the Lord really touched me and began to deliver my, you know, mind because I had a lot of just issues and trauma with just all the different things. You know, my brother, my brother, I don't know if I mentioned this, but he turned to heroin. So that was really scary. Um, there were, you know, days and nights where we just didn't know if he was going to make it and, and we'd pray and, and all of this for him. And, um, it's just really difficult. So, um, anyway, so he really, the Lord just really redeemed my life then and saved my soul and he began just restoring me. And the more I found I was giving myself to him, the more free I became and the more freedom I experienced. And I just remember when day, one day I was worshiping and thanking him wholeheartedly for what uh, my family had gone through. Because all of a sudden I started to see him for who he was. I saw his tenderness. I saw his kindness. I saw the gentleness in his voice. I saw all these things and I just started seeing him for who he was. And I, I actually thanked him like, Lord, thank you for for that hardship, because I got to know your favor. I got to know your love. I saw lives come to Jesus because my dad was able to be somewhere where normally the Lord isn't presented in a loving way, but more a controlling God. I saw all these things just unfold that I hadn't been able to really, I guess, see then, you know, because there was just so much chaos and trauma around me constantly. It felt like one thing after the other. So really what brought me there was just his kindness really led my heart to repentance and and just a lot of healing. And um, one of the things I realized was I was making my circumstances a lot a lot larger than what he had done for me on the cross. So I was just mirroring that behavior. I was just modeling like, oh, this is what I'm going through and it's about me. It's about what I, where I'm at. 
but I didn't remember like what he did for me, what he did for us. His body was broken, you guys, for us, so that we could be without sin. His whole body absorbed every single bit of it. And I started to see that, and it just brought me to my knees. I wanted him to fix my situation more than I wanted him to love me. But he had to love me in order to fix my situation. He had to love me all the way through. I know it can be difficult to trust and rely on someone else, especially when you've been hurt and betrayed in the past. And it's almost as like some of us, like I felt like I was like conditioned not to trust all of a sudden anything around me or anyone. Um, But it's amazing to see how God patiently walks with us through our pain and struggles with trust. And it's so important that we remember that God's love is for us and not dependent on our circumstances or how well we think we're doing. He just loves us because of who he is. And he's always there to just guide us and help us grow. I'm deeply grateful to know a God whose love is perfect and tender, who is not distant but a close friend. He's my best friend. He doesn't walk by us without noticing even the smallest details of our situations. But most importantly, he sees and understands the depths of our hearts. He's always with us, never ignoring sadness that grips our soul. He sits with us in all of it. Whether we're rejoicing or grieving, he's with us in our moments of joy and in our moments of gut-wrenching heartache. And knowing that he's always present with us and that he is compassionate gives us strength to endure and hope for a future. So um, comparison can be a very destructive thing. And at that time in my life, I was comparing my circumstances in my life to other people's. Um, It really can be just so harmful But I was also comparing, again, my circumstances to who Jesus was. Each one of us has a unique journey with its own set of circumstances, successes, and challenges. Our beauty and talents also differ from one another. And rather than comparing ourselves to others or to some idolized version of ourselves, it's important to embrace our uniqueness and allow Jesus to tend to our hearts in his own unique way. He loves us perfectly and intimately, meeting us exactly where we are on our our individual journeys. So let us not compare our lives to each other, but rather appreciate and celebrate the diversity of our journeys and the beauty of our individual relationships with Jesus. It's really crucial for us to have a clear understanding of who Jesus is, regardless of our life circumstances or traumas. He is the one who offers us forgiveness and salvation. He has saved us from our sins. So when we face difficult times, it's important to hold on to the truth that Jesus is who he says he is. It's a choice we have to make to believe him, to trust his promises, even when life is tough. 
but by trusting his word, we can find hope, peace in him, and we can withstand the enemy by knowing who he is and keeping our faith secured in his word. So these are the things Jesus is not, okay? So Jesus is not your pain. He's not your illness. He's not your miscarriage. He's not your lost child. He's not your financial struggle. He's not your successful business. He's not your well-earned money. He's not your prolonged suffering. He's not your past mistakes. And he's not your feelings in a day. He's not politics. Jesus is the one who can heal our pain and bring wholeness to your body, comfort you in your loss, restore your broken relationships, provide for your needs, give you joy and peace that surpasses understanding. He offers forgiveness and redemption for our mistakes, transcends human systems and governments. He gives purpose to our suffering and offers eternal salvation to your loved ones. He is the one who offers unconditional love and grace. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I know it's really hard to comprehend all of God, right? He's God. Like I don't think we can ever really comprehend all of him. (laughs) But we do have the opportunity to experience his presence and be transformed by it. And that's just amazing to think about, that we can enter into the King of Kings presence whenever we want, whenever we just get silent, you know? There's so much, like, noise around us in this world, like, just get silent and be still with Him and and really enjoy His presence. So we're going to take a look at who Jesus is in the Bible. Um, so the first thing that he says in John 8 verse 58 I don't know if it's up there yeah Um, is truly truly I say to you before Abraham was I am and I think that's so powerful many of us have really questioned Jesus authority and identity myself included, but I love how he responds to us by asserting us that he existed before Abraham, who lived about 2,000 years before Jesus' time on earth, and then identifies himself with the divine name, I am, which is the name of God revealed to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3.14. So by using this name for himself, Jesus is claiming to be the eternal God who was who has always existed and always will exist. And now we're just going to kind of look at the seven I am statements and go through those. Um, in John verse, or sorry, chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So how often have you all tried to satisfy your hunger and thirst with things of the world and not him? And how often have those sources truly satisfied your soul? For me, there's really no substitute that has ever brought me the kind of life and satisfaction that Jesus does. When I think of the word satisfy, I think of two words um, that just come to mind, dependable and true. Jesus tells us that whoever comes to him 
will never hunger and whoever believes in him will never thirst. So to me, this just means that we can depend on him to fulfill our longings and we can trust him that his words are true in order to satisfy the hunger and thirst in our heart. The second I am statement is in John chapter 8 verse 12. I am the light of the world. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In this world, there's a lot of darkness all around us, and it can be really easy to get lost in the shadows um, and just be pulled in different directions. And sometimes, like my family, we end up losing our way, right? Um But Jesus is the light that illuminates the path that we're meant to take. And when we follow him, we are led out of the darkness and into the light of life. But following Jesus means more than just believing him. It means actively pursuing him and seeking to walk in his ways. And it means that we have to make choices to reflect his light and sharing that light with others who are lost in the darkness. The third I am statement is in John 10, 7 through 9. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In the Bible, Jesus says that he is the door of the sheep. He distinguishes himself from those who came before him, calling them thieves and robbers. Jesus says that if anyone enters by him, they will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. This is such a powerful like metaphor because the door provides access and protection. So just as a door allows us to enter and exit a place, Jesus gives us the freedom to come to him and go out into the world, finding sustenance and growth along the way. The fourth I am statement is, I am the good shepherd. I love this one. In John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not the shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and carries nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay my life down for the sheep. In this statement, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd who is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. This metaphor highlights the loving and sacrificial nature of Jesus who cares deeply for his followers and is willing to protect and provide all uh, for them Sorry, at any cost. Jesus is a true shepherd who is willing to give himself for his flock. Through this metaphor, Jesus invites us to trust him and follow him as he leads us to safety and fulfillment in life. The fifth I am statement is I am the resurrection and the life. In John 11, verse 25 through 27 
It says that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe this, that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. In this passage, Jesus declares himself to be the resurrection and the life. He explains that whoever believes in him will live, and even after they die, and everyone who lives and believes in him will truly die, never die, sorry. He asks the woman he is speaking to if he believes this, and she responds that she does, acknowledging him as the Christ and the Son of God who has come into the world. All right, the sixth I am statement is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. No one comes to the Father except through me. So here Jesus declares himself as the only way to the Father stating, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This statement confirms that Jesus is the only means by which people can have a relationship with God the Father. When he says, I am the way, way implies that Jesus is the path or the route to God. When he says, I am the truth, the word truth really signifies that he is the embodiment of all that is true and trustworthy. I am the life. We have life because of him. All of life exists because of Jesus. The word life signifies that through him we can have eternal life and that no other path can lead us to God and no other truth can give us life. He is our creator and he is our sustainer. So the word sustain uh, really has given me a good visual. I just want to look at that definition for a moment. Um, The word sustain means to support, to hold, to bear up from below, to bear the weight of a structure, to undergo experience or suffer injury, loss, endure without giving way or yielding, to keep a person's mind and spirits from giving way as under trial or affliction. The word sustain always also means to keep up or keep going as an action or process, to supply with food, drink, and all other necessities of life. So I love that Jesus is the one who sustains us because it just gives us a good visual really of what that looks like and for me it's no matter how low you go even if it's like in the pit of hell he's going to be right underneath you just holding you up there with you alongside with you whether you feel it or not he is there he is present he is going to sustain you and he endures with you so I don't want to um Keep bringing on, just take a moment here. So really, um, I said this before, but the world just, again, is trying to tell us to accept other things as our truth. And it's really important that we have our focus on Jesus um, so that we 
stay focused on our destination, you guys. Our destination is Jesus. This is all just temporary. (laughs) The seventh I am statement he makes, he says, I am the true vine. In John 15, verse 1 through 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So here Jesus is using the analogy of a vine and its branches to describe our relationship with him. He is the source of all life, and we are the branches that are meant to bear fruit. This is a call to remain connected to Jesus, to abide in him so that we can bear fruit and bring glory to God. I love how Jesus uses these um, I am statements and reveals himself to us. And there's so much more of him to discover and experience and obtain. I believe that we need to sit with him in silence, to be still, and to really get to know him for who he is. There's wisdom to be gained in that secret place with him, and he's willing to share his whole heart with us if we give him our undivided attention. In that secret place with him, there's a time to talk, but there's also a time to listen. So when I was angry at God, I just remember I had a lot of time to talk my car at the time uh the radio didn't work I had a sob and I was so mad that that radio didn't work but on the way to work and on the way home I would just be in silence because my phone didn't play music then like I just had to sit in silence and um I don't know if you know this about me but I'm Latin my dad's from Colombia South America and um I just remember feeling like I just had this Latin come out of me where I was just and like take a breath and then like, you know, yell at him some more. And it was not good. But after I was all done with everything I had to say, because you got to get it all out, all of it, I started to listen and I started to get quiet. And that quiet place became so special. And it still is. It's a place like I can go with him and be and just feel his love and mercy and grace all over my life and just get to know him. Like he is a God that is endless and has so much for us. So it's really important, yeah, that the longing to be with him becomes louder than the noise around us. And the desires of our hearts to know him just awakens and becomes like all that we want. Like he wants to be our enough. You know, when we have everything stripped away from us in life and you have nothing, I mean nothing, I can say he is enough for me. And if I don't see the promise of my father's justice coming into place here on earth, because one thing I didn't tell you guys is that he did get deported. So he's not here in the United States. He's in South America. So as I'm telling my story, I'm still doing life from a place that I don't get to see him on the holidays. I don't get to embrace him. My kids, you know, 
I'm so glad that we have FaceTime and I can have those moments with them so they can get to know him. But there's a lot of time I feel like the enemy thinks he stole. (laughs) And at certain points in my life, I thought so too. But Jesus is enough. So if I don't see that justice in this lifetime, like I can just look at him and know, Jesus, you're enough for me. You're enough. I think that he just wants to reveal himself to us in just endless creative ways. So I encourage you guys, and this is just me speaking to myself as well, to not become too accustomed to how he's moved in the past or how he's touched your hearts in the past or any of that because I know that he is willing to surprise us and provide us with what we need, our daily bread of life. So my greatest testimony today is really just how Jesus cared for me. He carried me through some of the most devastating times in my life, and he continues to cheer me on. He gently corrects me, and he's never in a hurry to bring me through my hardships, but he patiently meets me in them. He gives me time to process loss, anger, and pain, but he doesn't keep me there. His character is pure and holy, which is why all of creation sings to him. I never meant somebody so pure and innocent like all the way through their core. I can fully trust him. I can trust that he is loyal. I can trust that he is who he says he is because he's proven that to me in my life. I found my first love, and I want to remain in awe of him for the rest of my life. When I look at the Bible and the times that Jesus was tempted, I love how Jesus relied on the word of God to resist temptation and glorify his Father in heaven. Each time he was tempted, he says, It is written. He uses God's word to stand on and he believes the Father's word is true. Jesus fully trusts the Father and he refuses, he refuses to abuse God's providence. He knows God's word is alive. So I'm convinced that once you truly behold Jesus for his true essence face to face, his serene gaze and comforting presence and friendly voice. Excuse me. will settle any questions you've ever had about him. Fix your eyes on him and remain steadfast no matter what challenges life brings you. We were created to know our creator and live with him now, not just when we're in heaven. He is our reward. One thing I love about my dad was, I think I mentioned earlier, that he was an entrepreneur. Um, so, And he worked in the stock market for a little while and had an office and all that. And a ton of monitors just lined up, computer after computer after computer. And what I 
Um, just love about him and what he used to tell us kids was, hey, anytime I'm working, like you can come in anytime you want. You don't have to have an appointment. You don't have to, like, my attention is always going to be on you. You're first. And I think that that gave me a really good um, visual and just a really just easy way to see the Father, how, like, we can come to Him. And His attention is always going to be on us and with us, and we can sit with Him. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This verse really encourages us to approach God with confidence and trust, knowing that we can find help and mercy in his presence. Overall, seeking the face of Jesus involves desiring to know him more intimately and seeking his presence and growing in relationship with him. It's a natural outflow of a deepening faith in Christ and a desire to follow him more closely. So I'll leave you with some questions. (laughs) Have you ever compared Jesus to your life's circumstances? Have you truly received Jesus for who he says he is, or is your perception of him based on what others have said about him? Do you have a clear understanding of his character? It's important to distinguish between these different perspectives. I think that we must, again, know him to fight the good fight of faith. And I hope that this message just encouraged you guys to keep going, to keep reaching, to keep pursuing the Lord, no matter what you face. So I will just close with prayer. Did I stay on time? Okay. (laughs) So Lord, thank you for today. I thank you for your, your presence. Holy Spirit, I ask that you touch our hearts and our minds. And that you just align everything in us with who you are, Father. I pray for any trauma that may have just settled in too deeply on people's hearts, Lord. I pray that you would just come and heal that place that only you know about. Jesus, bring peace and bring your love right now. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 